All right, let's talk about Christ's resurrection. Now, I'm not going to so much tell the story, hopefully you're familiar with that, as I want you to see the doctrinal significance of what this means for you, and then how you can walk out these doors today and apply Christ's resurrection to your life. Well, let's talk about the importance of Christ's resurrection. This is really important. It's crucial. Why is that? Well, first of all, the, the importance of Christ's resurrection and how it applies to Christ's person. See, the Bible says if Christ did not rise from the dead, then he was a liar. Because you know the Bible says that Jesus actually predicted his own resurrection. He said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise from the grave on the third day. And if he's a liar, then he can't be God, and there is no way that he could be your sacrifice. However, the resurrection certainly authenticates Jesus Christ as a true prophet and the Son of God. I'm so thankful for that. Let's talk about, as well, the importance of Christ's resurrection to, to Christ's work. See, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then he would not be alive today to do his post-resurrection work. Too often we think that Christ's work finished somehow when he arose from the grave. Like, his, his work is done. Well, there is an aspect of his work that's done, but he continuously ministers even today on your behalf. For example, you have a high priest. Today you have a high priest. You have an intercessor. You have an advocate before the Father today. Jesus says He is praying for you today. And because of that, we have a head of our church. Not our local church, but the universal church. This is important for the gospel as well, because without the resurrection, there is no gospel. You say, well, what's the gospel? Well, we read about it earlier, but look, look again here at 1 Corinthians 15. The Bible tells us the gospel in its three parts here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then notice verse 5, because it says that, he appeared to Peter, that's Cephas, then, he, then the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. All these people were alive there, seeing the same thing. That's the gospel. Christ died for your sins. You're a sinner. You deserve to die on the cross for your own sins, but, of course, that would never be sufficient. Christ did it for you. He was buried. He rose again. He conquered death. He gives life through His life and death and sacrifice. That's the gospel. But this is also important to Christians. See, if Christ did not rise, then 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that our faith is futile. It is in vain, and our very witness is false. Our faith is without meaningful content content uh, the prospects of our future is hopeless look what verse 13 says well i'll start in verse 12 first corinthians 15 12 says now if christ is proclaimed 
as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So this is important to Christians. This is your hope. This is the meaningful content of your faith. Next, let's talk about the nature of Christ's resurrection. There's a lot of disagreement on this, sadly, so we make sure we're all on the same, uh, same page here, so to speak. We need to understand that Christ actually died. <laughs> I know, some of you are like, this is ridiculous. We, we need to talk about that? Yeah, we do. Yes, Christ actually died, because there are some people who don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, and they say that Christ just merely fainted. You know, it's from the loss of blood and, you know, his horrible sufferings. And, and uh, you know, he goes into the tomb and, you know, the cool air in the tomb revived him. So he woke up and he walked out of the tomb. Really? Well, that theory is false for many reasons. Scripture gives us all kinds of witness on this. An unbelievable, insurmountable amount of witness here. Let me just give you some. So that theory has to be false for the following reasons. Number one, Christ, as we just read, he appeared to his disciples. And remember, how did he appear to his disciples? Did he appear as someone who was half dead? Who had just kind of woken up from, you know, losing all this blood and from fainting? Is that how he appeared? No, of course not. He appeared as one who was conquering and he was a triumphant victor over death in the grave. He could never have given the impression if, if, if he was coming to them as someone who was sick and half dead. <laughs> the other thing you need to remember is those Roman soldiers actually pronounced Christ dead. Uh, those guys were professional executioners. They were really proficient at what they did. And, and in fact, they the Bible says... To, to show that he was dead, they didn't break his legs, even though the two guys next to Christ had their legs broken so that they would die. Why didn't they break Christ's legs? Because he was already dead. Right? And then in John chapter 19, we learn that when the soldiers pierced the side of Christ, the Bible specifically says, coming from Christ's body came both blood and water which was a condition, by the way, that showed that death had already taken place. And then we see that Joseph of Arimathea asked permission to bury the body of Christ. Why would he do that? Because his body had already been pronounced dead. You don't go and bury someone who's alive, right? It's kind of obvious. 
can read about that in Matthew 25. And then the guy supposedly in charge, Pilate, heard that Christ was dead. And, and you remember, he was kind of surprised already. <laughs> and so what did Pilate do? He goes to the guy in charge of the soldiers, the centurion, and he asks, is, is Christ really dead? You remember the centurion's answer in Mark 15? The centurion said, yes, he is dead. So the, so the people in charge recognized that he was dead. And then in Mark 16, you have all the, these, these women who are coming and wanting to anoint a dead body. They thought he's dead too. You don't go and bring spices to anoint a dead person or a live person. They were coming to bring the spices to anoint a dead body. So anyway, that's just some of the proof. Lots of various types of witnesses there showing that his body was actually dead. A second thought is that Christ's body then actually raised from the dead. It actually raised from the dead. There's a lot of proof on this as well. The resurrection of Christ, please understand, is not a spiritual resurrection. And nor were his appearances to the disciples some, just some spiritual manifestation. It wasn't a ghost they were seeing. He appeared to his disciples in a bodily form. And the body, by the way, that was laid in Joseph's tomb came forth on that first Easter morning. How can we be sure of that? Well, let's think of some reasons why that's true. First of all, Matthew 28 tells us the tomb was empty. It was empty. This truth, by the way, is testified by multiple witnesses, and, and it's not just the ones in favor of Jesus, okay? So it wasn't just his friends, it was also his enemies who testified to this truth. So how do we account for the empty tomb? Well, some people say the body of Jesus was stolen, but that cannot be true, because what do we read in Scripture? The soldiers were paid money to tell a false story. They were now, normally, guards would never allow their prisoner to be stolen because their very lives were on the line. Because if a soldier allowed someone to escape, then they would die. They would be killed. But isn't it interesting they're paid off to tell a false story? So the condition, the other, the other interesting thing the Bible tells us, the condition of the linen cloths shows that Christ's body was not stolen. I mean, think about it. What, what do... Any of you ever had robbers come in your house? Any of do when when the robbers come into your house, do they leave it in better condition than they left it? Than than when they came in, sorry? No, I've had robbers come in when I was growing up and uh you know, they're emptying out drawers. They're just throwing stuff around everywhere. The place was a mess. It was disgusting. And so the, it's interesting the condition of those the claws were showing they were neatly folded. Robbers don't do that. They wouldn't leave them in that type of condition. Thieves do not leave things in, in a perfect order. <laughs> we also have the testimony of the angels to the fact that Christ had really risen. They were God's messengers telling the truth. The other thing you need to take note of is that no one can steal Christ's soul. You can't steal a soul. See, if Christ did not have a body, then why did the officers say 
they were afraid that his disciples would come by night and steal him away. There's no way they could steal his soul. That's not possible. So it had to be a real bodily resurrection. Well, there's, there's so much proof here. Let, let, let me just throw some things here at you before we get into what does this mean for you. We also see here that those who saw Christ after the resurrection recognized him as having that same body that he had before his death, except for one difference. Remember, Jesus told Thomas, I have scars in his wrist, in his feet, in his side. Thomas no longer doubted, by the way. Poor guy. He gets, he gets called all sorts of nasty things. But um, Thomas is a believer. Thomas died because he was a believer in Christ's resurrection, as did all of the disciples, by the way, except for the Apostle John. Uh, let's look at uh, some scripture here together. Turn over to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Have your fingers ready. There's all kinds of good stuff to look at here. In John 20, verse 27, here's what Jesus says to Thomas. Remember? Thomas. He says to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. By the way, notice Thomas' response. In the next verse, Thomas says, My Lord and my God. He believed. So there were scars, but it was the same body other than those scars. We also know the Apostle Paul believed in the bodily resurrection of Christ. (laughs) He wrote 1 Corinthians 15, an entire chapter on resurrection. By the way, may I remind you, the Apostle Paul spent three years with the resurrected Christ, was taught by Christ himself. He met Christ on the road to Damascus. Remember, who are you you fighting against, Paul? Jesus says, you're fighting against me. You're fighting against me. And so Jesus taught him. Paul believed. The Apostle Peter believed as well in the bodily resurrection of Christ. You can see all these points are up on the screen here. Remember on Pentecost, there in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, Peter preached about the resurrected Christ. He told all the people there, hey, the the, the one whom you crucified, the one you nailed to the cross, that was Christ. The one who arose from the uh, the dead, that was the, the risen Christ. Peter believed in the resurrected Christ. Number six, the appearances of Christ prove a literal, physical resurrection. Lots of various appearings. See, Christ was someone who could be seen, he could be touched, he could be handled. He was someone who would sit down with you and eat with you and drink with you. And he did that in the presence of many witnesses, showing that it It wasn't some wandering soul. It was a literal body. Those are all things that bodies do, and the Bible continuously shows this. For example, look at John 20 here again. 
In John 20, verse 14. Verse 14. John 20, verse 14 says, Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. This is Mary. So Jesus appears to Mary here. And and, uh, so she... Uh, verse 14 says, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. That's just one example of a time when Jesus has appeared to real people. They were able to see him and interact with him. Uh, Number seven is that after his resurrection, Christ Christ himself gave testimony to his own bodily resurrection. He said this was going to happen. Several times in Scripture it says that he was going to die and be resurrected. But when you come to Revelation chapter 1, I want you to see what Jesus himself says in Revelation 1. Look at this. These are his words, not mine. Revelation 1, verse 18. Look at this. Because Jesus here, in verse 18, he says, I am the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's his testimony. The resurrected Christ. You need to understand something else about Christ's resurrection here, that that his body was more than a mere natural body. A little different from the ones that you and I have at the moment. For example, if you read in John chapter 20, it it says that he was able to go through walls and doors. (laughs) Now, I can't do that, neither can you. That shows you his body was a little different. He had this ability to go through physical objects, and, of course, when he ascended into heaven, we, we see he's able to, like, fly or somehow ascend. So his body was not a natural body like I have. Christ's resurrection body was immortal. Did, did you notice what Revelation 1.18 said about it? What is his body like? Well, Christ's current body cannot die again. It is alive forevermore. He will never die again. He doesn't need to die again. It's a once-for-all sacrifice. Well, some people like to attack the resurrection of Christ. It's crucial. If they can take that out, that that foundation out, then, then everything above it has nothing to stand on. So let's just talk about this for a moment. What evidence is there for Christ's resurrection? Well, we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to at least 
500 people at one time after his resurrection. Surely not all those people were hallucinating. They couldn't all have been on drugs or something weird going on there all at the same time. And by the way, there was more than 500, and there was more than one appearance. It wasn't the only time. The other thing I want to spend more time on here is there are effects which must have a cause. There are lots of effects showing the cause is the resurrection of Christ. Every one of these effects points to the resurrection of Christ. First of all, the empty tomb. (laughs) The empty tomb shows the resurrection of Christ. What caused that tomb to be empty? The tomb's empty because Christ had risen. Number two, the coming of the Holy Spirit was, in effect, showing the resurrection of Christ. What caused the events on the day of Pentecost? There in Acts chapter 2. Well, the year when Christ rose, Pentecost saw the descent of the Holy Spirit. By the way, Christ had promised this would happen, remember? He said, when I, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 1 and 2 there, attributed the coming of the Holy Spirit to the fact that the risen Christ was the one who sent the Spirit. So the coming of the Spirit is then the effect. It had to have a sufficient cause, and of course that was the risen Christ. He said, I will ascend, I will leave, and I will send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Number three, the worship on the Lord's Day is a a wonderful effect coming from the resurrection of Christ. Now you need to understand, most of the first century Christians were Jews. You remember when they worshipped? On the Sabbath, which by the way started Friday night. So they were accustomed to worshiping on the Sabbath, but yet suddenly and uniformly they started to worship on Sunday. Wow, why'd they do that? I mean, the fourth commandment talks about the Sabbath, worshiping God on the Sabbath. So why would they take the fourth commandment and then suddenly disobey that? Well, it's not a disobedience issue, but they did change. They began to worship on Sunday because Christ arose Sunday morning. By the way, Sunday was a a normal work day for a Jew. There was a drastic change. They, They wanted to commemorate the resurrection of their Lord, which had taken place on Sunday. And so they changed the whole day of worship to Sunday because of Christ's resurrection. That's radical, radical stuff. Number four, the Christian church is also an effect coming from the resurrection of Christ. Yes, the church is a grand and noble institution. But what would this world be without it? Where did this institution come from? Well, it's actually, actually, friends, an effect. So, again, what's the cause of that effect? Well, when Christ appeared to his discouraged disciples who are hiding in a room, he, what did he do? He revived their faith. And they were able to go forth believing in a resurrected Lord. They went forth preaching the story of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and His ascension, and His coming again. And as a result, people believed those teachings. Then they were able to gather together 
to study the Scriptures. They gather together to pray and to worship Christ and look forward to His coming again. Every one of those 11 disciples died for this truth, except for the Apostle John. They tried to kill him <laughs> by boiling him in oil and throwing him on, and exiling him on an island and doing horrible things to him as well. They didn't die for a lie. They understood that there was a risen Christ. That, that had a profound effect on them. And so th- this is how the church came into existence. Its, it's, its cause, therefore, was the resurrection of Christ. And even the New Testament itself, number five, is an effect of the resurrection of Christ. See, if Christ had remained buried in the tomb, then the story of his life and death would have remained buried with him. What's, what's the point if there was no resurrection? The New Testament actually is an effect of Christ's resurrection. Think about that, friends. There really is no story to tell if it was just the life and the death of Christ. There needed to also be the resurrection. You say, okay, that's all great, that's cool. I'm sweet with that, but uh, what does that mean for me? Well, there's great doctrinal significance for you, friends. Let's just park here for a moment. What does this mean for you? What, what does the theological truth of Christ's resurrection mean for you? Number one, Christ's resurrection ensures regeneration for believers. See, if if you have been converted, if you have put... Your faith in Christ alone, what hope do you have? How do you know that that is of any real significance to you? And what is regeneration anyway? Well, let me explain this. Regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit where He creates new life in a sinful person and that person is able to repent, to to change their mind in regard to their sin, And then they come to believe in Jesus Christ. I want you to see what Peter says here in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Notice the cause. Notice the significance here. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, you you cannot be born again without the resurrection of Christ. It's impossible. And so in that verse, Peter explicitly connects Christ's resurrection with a Christian's regeneration. you, You could call the regeneration your new birth. Or in John 3, Jesus calls, you must be born again. In other words, your spiritual birth. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he had the new quality of life in a human body that was perfectly suited then for fellowship and obedience to God forever. And so in his resurrection, Jesus earned for us a new life just like his. That's awesome, isn't it? However... We do not receive all of that that new resurrection life when we become Christians. See, for our bodies remain as they were, but I am still subjected 
to the aging process, right? You're seeing more and more gray hairs, right? You know, other issues, you know, you notice probably notice I'm using reading glasses more and more, right? These are just part of the aging process that we have, which Jesus didn't have after his resurrection. Uh, I am subjected to death. And so, in our spirits, though, we're made alive with this new resurrection power. And thus it is through His resurrection that Christ earned for us the new kind of life that we can then receive when we are born again. And so I want you to see what another apostle said. In Ephesians 2, verse 5, he says this, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him. Oh, thank God. Because that ensures your regeneration. But number two, Christ's resurrection ensures justification for believers. And justification, you say, well, what is that? Well, that is a, a term that it means it's a legal declaration that, that we are not guilty. You are declared not guilty, but you are declared by God Himself to be righteous before Him. Wow. And so with that in mind, just just bear in mind what Romans 4, verse 25 says, because it says that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised, notice, raised for what purpose? For our justification. There's no justification without the resurrection. You cannot be declared to be not guilty and to have Christ's righteousness without Christ's resurrection. So we must, we must believe. We must believe this truth. And so when Christ was raised from the, uh, the dead, sorry, God was showing His approval of Christ's work. What work? When Jesus says, it, it is finished, and He gives up His spirit as He's hanging on the cross, what, what did He accomplish? His work of redemption was accomplished. So by raising raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying, I approve of Christ's work. I approve of this work where He suffered and He died for sin. His work was therefore completed. And Christ was, was no longer in need there to remain dead. There was no penalty left to pay for sin. No more wrath of God to bear. There's no more liability for punishment. So all had been completely paid for. No guilt remained. And so in the resurrection, God was effectively saying to Christ, I approve, son. I approve what you've done. You find favor in my sight. So friends, this explains how the Apostle Paul can say that Christ was raised for our justification. See, if God raised us up with Christ, it says, then then by virtue of our union with Christ, do do you understand, friends, God's declaration of approval of Christ is also then a declaration of His approval of you. God approves of you, friend, if your faith is in Christ, if you have union with Christ. But there's a third glorious truth here. 
that Christ's resurrection ensures that believers will receive perfect resurrection bodies and you will be immortal. Not immoral, immortal. Really, one little letter makes a big difference. Here's what the Bible says, friends. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 6 says that God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. And then in 2 Corinthians 4.14, it says, Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. Are you believing in that hope? See, the most extensive discussion on the, the connection here between Christ's resurrection and your own is found in 1 Corinthians 15. I encourage you to read that chapter today if you haven't done it already this morning. It's a wonderful passage, particularly in that middle part. You see, Paul says that Christ is the first fruits. Do you, do you understand what first fruits is? Because it says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. <laughs> Their death is likened to fallen asleep to just falling asleep. It's not a permanent state. In calling Christ the first fruits, the Apostle Paul is using a metaphor there. It's coming from agriculture, by the way. He's indicating that we're going to be like Christ. Christ is the first. The, the prime, the best. And so we're going to follow in his steps in a way. And that's great news. But the good news continues here. We see, number four, that Christ's resurrection assures believers of an interceding high priest. You, you see, friends, you still need a high priest. The, the one who made the sacrifice is your high priest. Because look what Romans eight thirty four says. Who is to condemn? Do you feel condemned? You shouldn't. Because the first verse of that chapter says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You shouldn't feel that way, so make sure that your feelings are lining up with reality. Because notice verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you believe that? Do you know where Christ is today on your behalf? See, salvation was not completed at the cross. <laughs> there is still need of daily forgiveness. And so the accusations of Satan still need to be answered. He is the accuser of the brethren, after all. And so the good news is we do have a high priest who prays constantly that our faith will not fail. He will hold you fast. So that's great. So how can I apply the truth of the resurrection to my life today? Glad you asked that question. It's so important. So let's think of some application. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Coming toward the end of this amazing chapter on the resurrection, we, we finally get some application. You have this really long discussion 
about the resurrection, and the Apostle Paul concludes it by saying this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's awesome, because the first application that you should make from that wonderful verse is this, friends. Because Christ was raised from the dead, we should continue steadfastly in the Lord's work. Well, that means there's a work for you to do. It is the Lord's work that you should be about. You say, what's the Lord's work? Well, (laughs) some people limit it to evangelism. You say, Right? I'm supposed to go, right? Go. Make disciples. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a command of Jesus. And he said, you do that because I have given you the authority that, that comes from Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth comes from him. So he says, go, make disciples. It includes that, but it is more than that, friends. That is only the beginning. See, the Great Commission is not just evangelism. (laughs) Too many people limited to just that. The command there is actually go make disciples. So after the evangelism, then you become a disciple maker. You are to teach them what the Lord has commanded. That's the Lord's work for you, friends. But there's a second application we can make here. Because Christ was raised from the dead, we should focus on our future heavenly reward. See, Paul saw the resurrection as a time when all the struggles of this life will be repaid. Do you think that way? Do you? See, my friend, the Bible actually commands us to set our minds not on things on this earth, but things above. See, look what Colossians 3, 1 says. If then you have been raised with Christ, is that you? If you have been raised with Christ, you could say, since believers have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Do you believe that? So you have something to think about in the future. Where's your affections? Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Are you thinking about that enough? That, that's a, that is a life-transforming thought. But there's a third application. Because Christ was raised from the dead, we should stop yielding to sin in our lives. See, the Bible says you have a new master. Oh, the old master, he's still hanging around. And he's brutal. <laughs> he's going to keep coming. He's going to keep whispering in your ear. But Romans 6 tells you you need to know some truth. You need to know the reality that you don't have to listen and obey that old master. Because you have a new master. 
And he's a good master. See, Romans says we're to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. By virtue of what? It's by virtue of the resurrection of Christ. And his power that is within us. See, I want you to see what the Bible says here in Romans 6 verse 12. That's a command, not an option. And it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So notice, friends, the order. Because verse 11 told us that you are to consider yourselves to be dead to sin. You don't have to obey. You don't have to to know to, to, to obey. You need to consider yourselves to be alive to God in Christ Jesus, and it's all because of the virtue of Christ's resurrection. And so the reality for a believer is this, friends. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. That, that shouldn't be the reality for a believer in Christ. You don't have to obey your evil, wicked passions. <laughs> Instead, you must present your members to God. Not, not to the sin, but to God. You have a good master who wants what's best for you. The question is, do we believe this? And are we living like this? Is this the reality for you, friends? Christ has risen. There's a lot of proof of it. And it has great significance for you today, friends. Your whole life is in this. Your hope is in this truth that Christ has risen. What are you going to do about it? Live like it, friends. Keep living like it. Keep holding on to Christ. May God's grace and peace be with you, friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christ, His work, His resurrection, His ongoing ministry on our behalf. May we believe this truth, even, even though there are people who want to attack Christ and His resurrection. They don't understand, but may we believe, and may we live this truth out in our lives. Do this work in us. We, we know this is even, to believe this is a work of your grace in our lives. May this bring great peace to our lives. And may we celebrate and look forward to a day when we will see the resurrected Christ. And as you say in the book of 1 John, that when we see Christ, we, we will be made like Him, for we will see Him as He is. May we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.